0: We're looking forward to that glorious day, we say, with the Apostle John, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Uh, Turn with me to Romans chapter 13. We're looking at verses 11 through 14 this morning in Romans chapter 13, closing out this chapter Here again, the word of the living God. Apostle Paul wrote, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Yes, let us walk properly in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires." Saint Augustine, who lived from 354 to 430 A.D., he was the um, Bishop of Hippo in Northern Africa, he had quite a dramatic conversion, and he writes about it in his uh, book that he wrote called Confessions. And uh, I'm going to read for you an excerpt from that uh, Confessions of Saint Augustine. He says, I was weeping in the most bitter contrition of my heart when I heard the voice of children from a neighboring house chanting, Take up and read, take up and read. And I could not remember ever having heard the like. So, checking the torrent of my tears, I arose, interpreting it to be no other than a command from God to open the book and read the first chapter I should find. And at the time, he had a copy of the writings of the Apostle Paul next to him. Eagerly then, I returned to the place where I had laid the volume of the Apostle. I seized, opened, and in silence read that section on which my eyes first fell. Not in revelry and drunkenness, Not in licentiousness and lewdness, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. No further would I read, nor did I need to, for instantly at the end of this sentence, it seemed as if a light of serenity infused into my heart and all the darkness of doubt vanished away. So none other than St. Augustine traces his conversion uh, to hearing and understanding and being uh, convicted from this very passage that we'll be looking at today. So may the same Lord who saved uh, saved St. Augustine by his grace through faith, may he be at work in our midst today and bringing uh, conviction of sin and salvation in our midst as well. So let's look at these words from the Apostle Paul. The overall theme is living in light of the day. That's a, a theme that recurs quite a bit in this paragraph. We'll talk more about that as we, we go on. And the first thing that he says to us in verse 11 is basically, wake up. Wake up. Listen to his words once again, besides this, and what's the besides this? It's, it's everything that he's talking about, uh, probably beginning with chapter 12 on through where we left off last time from chap, um, in chapter 13. So from chapter 12, remember, for example, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then last time we read about how, the lo- uh, how love is the fulfilling of the law. And a whole bunch of practical instructions and applications in, in between those two bookends. Besides this, Paul says, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. To be asleep here is a metaphor for being unconscious, unaware, not alert about the importance of living for God, not sensible to the importance of the time. And Paul says that the solution to our natural slumber, that's where we are naturally because of our sin, where we're asleep, spiritually speaking. The solution to that when it comes to spiritual things is to wake up, to be alert, to get serious about knowing the will of God, living in a way that glorifies God and Avoiding that which displeases God. Wake up to living out the salvation that we profess. And why is now the time to awake? As uh, Paul begins verse 11 with, "now," why is it that now is the time? Because he says in the second half of verse 11, For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Time keeps on marching on, never to go back. The sand keeps on falling from the hourglass, never to be replaced. And Paul emphasizes for us here that we need to recognize that time is oriented around salvation. Time is not all about uh, the spread of democracy around the world or capitalism or Marxism for that matter. Time from the author of time, the creator of time, the God who transcends time. Time is oriented around the great theme of human salvation. Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. And this is one of many verses in the New Testament that reminds us that there are three tenses to our salvation. There's the past tense to our salvation. We we have been saved. Ephesians 2 and verse 8 is an, ex- is an example. We are now as believers in the process of being saved. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 2 is an example. And in the future, either when we die or Christ returns, we will be saved in the future. And so our salvation is this already, not yet, reality. As saved people, we lived. We live constantly in this tension between the already and the not yet in terms of our salvation. But we are definitely nearer to our ultimate salvation now than when we first believed. We're going to come back to this already not yet dynamic because it uh, comes up again. So, first of all, wake up, Christians. Secondly, Paul says in verse 12, he uh, talks about night and day, darkness and light. And of course, Paul is not talking about meteorology or sunrises and sunsets. He's Talking metaphorically, he's talking spiritually. Listen to what he says in verse 12 The night is far gone, the day is at hand. The night here is a metaphor representing spiritual darkness and an ignorance. And I said we were going to come back to that already-not-yet dynamic. Here's a good time for it. So Paul is talking here on on two different scales, with two different scopes in mind. There's the the universal scope, which has as its highlight uh, its major time markers, the two comings of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus came into the world... Jesus said that he is the light of the world, and when he came, light came into the darkness. And the Bible also talks about the day, the light, in terms of the second coming of Christ as well. And we live now between those two comings of Christ, the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. This is the already and the not yet. That's a universal scope but then there's a personal scope as well i already pointed out we've we've already been saved and uh, we're being saved and we're going to be saved in the future when christ either comes or calls and in between the already and the not yet as far as we're concerned as far as our experienced uh, is concerned as believers we know that God has begun a good work in us. We know that God has begun the process of sanctification in us. We know that God has given us new spiritual life. He's given us the Holy Spirit. In fact, we're told that the, light, the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And yet, we know by personal experience that there's still a lot of darkness that remains. There's still remaining sin. There is unbelief. We we don't do the things that we wish. We're not the Christian man, the Christian woman that we want to be, that we ought to be. And so in our personal experience, in our walk with the Lord, we're stuck, sort of, in this already-not-yet tension. But therein lies the urgency that Paul is talking about. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Um, our being in the presence of God is, is imminent. Either Jesus is going to come again or he's going to call us into his presence. And even if he calls us, if we, if we die, before his second coming, and there's another 1,000 years or 2,000 years or a 100 years or whatever, before his second coming, our time of sojourning in this world is done. Our time of being progressively sanctified will be done. Our walking by faith will be done. It will be completed. And so... The uh, end that is in sight, the the day that is in hand, it it applies either way, whether we're talking about the second coming of Christ or uh, Christ calling us in terms of our death. So what do we do with that urgency? What do we do with that knowledge of time quickly passing away and bringing us closer and closer every single day to the consummation of all things, what do we do with that? Paul says in the second half of verse 12, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. This is the opposite of walking uh, properly, as he's going to say, walking in the light the works of darkness. Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Jesus used this metaphor of light and darkness as well several times. In John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, Jesus said, and this is the judgment, that light has come into the world And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. That's why people rejected Christ. That's why people continue to reject Christ. And Jesus went on, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. So that is what Paul is talking about. He's talking about the same kind of thing that Jesus talked about. Darkness in terms of evil works. Darkness in terms of sin. Light, on the other hand, Jesus, and light as believers following Jesus, walking with Jesus. Light and darkness, night and day. Remember Paul's command here in verse 12, and look with me in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, in verses 3 through 6, Paul talks about a lot of the same sins that he mentions in Romans chapter 13, Romans chapter 1 as well, these lowlights of human depravity. And notice what he says in verse 7, to believers, therefore, do not become partakers, partners with them, for at one time you were darkness. We were in the same boat as unbelievers. We were living the same kind of lifestyle as unbelievers. A lifestyle of darkness, of sin, of self-will, of spiritual ignorance, hard-heartedness. Uh, the truth from God's Word that set, set Saint Augustine free. And it's the same kind of teaching that God used in my own conversion as well. I've shared that with you guys a lot. but when we first showed up at Riverside Bible Church in 1990, uh, Pastor Steve Hartland was preaching through Ephesians and uh, it was shortly after we got there, he was preaching through this passage, And um, it completely turned my world upside down because before that, I had this assumption that a lot of people do that you can believe in Jesus, you can be going to heaven and live any old way that you want to, any way that you feel like. It doesn't matter because after all, you believe in Jesus, whatever that means. And it's passages like this as well as so many others in the Bible that tell us that absolutely we are saved by grace through faith apart from works, but that faith through which we're saved is a living faith. It's not a dead faith. It's a faith that results in Jesus Christ indwelling us It's a faith that produces the fruit of the Holy Spirit and all manner of good works. It's a dynamic faith that makes a difference between our former lifestyle of darkness and a new lifestyle of following Jesus Christ in the light. And God stopped me in my tracks and saved me, who had previously been a lifelong hypocrite, and that's what Paul is trying to get across to the believers in Rome with this passage. Here he's been spending so much time establishing the doctrine of the gospel, and now he begins through chapter 12 and 13 to give practical applications of the gospel, and, and here he's being urgent. Make sure you understand, dear Brother and sister, dear believer, what it means to be a believer, to have saving faith, it doesn't mean just fire insurance, but it means following Jesus Christ as Lord. It means living a transformed life. Back in Romans chapter 13, notice this transition In Paul's terminology. In verse 12 he says, so then let us cast off the works of darkness. Then he says, and put on the armor of light. Works to armor. And this is a reminder that God calls us to warfare. We're not just passive onlookers in the great spiritual struggle that is taking place in the world today. And make no mistake about it, there is a spiritual war that is taking place. And it's not just in high places and big historical events, but it's taking place in the soul of every single person including every single believer. And we're called to partake in this war. We're called to be active soldiers in this war. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 4 through 8, you can look that up on your own, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 4 through 8, Paul uses some of the same imagery as he does here, the imagery of darkness, light, sleep, drunkenness, And then in verse 8 of 1 Thess 5, Paul says, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11, Paul says, Put on the whole armor of God. We're under attack And we're not just supposed to be on the defensive, we're supposed to be on the offensive. Paul says, put on the armor of light. The interesting thing about light, of course, this is common sense no amount of darkness can ever overcome it. You go into the darkest of darkness, dark rooms. And one little spark of light just conquers the darkness. Light cannot be overcome by darkness. And so our light, which of course we get from Christ, our armor of light is an offensive weapon. And so even if you never run for office, even if you... Never stand behind a pulpit or on a street corner proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you let your light so shine before men, then you're doing what Paul is talking about here at the end of verse 12. Your light of living for Jesus, of following Christ, glorifying your God and Father, that light will always overcome darkness. And to that degree, to that extent, in that particular place and time, around those people whom God brings you into contact, your light is offensively dispelling and overcoming darkness. That's what God calls us to not to hunker down and be defensive, but to live for him and go on the offense, be overcomers, be more than conquerors. Then Paul goes on to tell us to walk properly in verse 13. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Our walk is our manner of life. It's our lifestyle. And when he says to walk properly, that could just as well be translated decently, honorably. And uh, com- commentator James Edwards helps us here, this command from Paul. to uh, live properly, walk properly, as in the daytime. This reminds believers that the life of faith is not an esoteric or mystical experience, but a life of discipleship, of intentionally following Jesus in the most common and practical matters, following Jesus step by step in the direction of, he leads. Let us walk properly. And here's the opposite of walking properly as in the daytime. Second half of verse 13. Not in orgies and drunkenness. Not in sexual immorality and sensuality. Not in quarreling and jealousy. These are Um, are not all of the evils of sinful humanity. It's a representative list. It's a, a representative list of sins of the night. And you can just imagine that people often do these types of things in the nighttime because they're undercover often. People can't see them. And people who do tend to walk properly, as in the daytime, tend to go to bed at night. And so children of the night who practice the sins of the night, these works of darkness often do them during the nighttime. Not exclusively, but that's why they're called the uh, deeds of darkness and the sins of the night. And Paul probably has in mind here by referring to these particular sins, the the cult, the worship of the pagan god Bacchus. And the worship of the pagan god Bacchus in the first century involved gluttony, drunkenness, and unbridled sexual immorality. And you could see how those two works of the flesh go hand in hand. People get drunk They dull their senses, they dull their consciences, and then they're more open to unbridled, unrestrained sexual immorality. And like we've already seen, as believers, we've been there, done that. We understand the appeal, we get it. But Christ has saved us from that. It's not that Christ has called us to a life of misery and frowning and no fun and no joy. But Christ has opened our eyes, renewed our minds and given us a new heart. So now we see that those things that we thought used to give us joy they didn't ultimately satisfy. They they weren't fulfilling. And the way that we know that they're not fulfilling is after the party comes the next day and the hangover and the depression and the knowledge that, well, you got to get up and go to work. And sometimes the regret, oh no, what did I do? But... Christ has called us to a life of real joy, solid, lasting pleasures. Knowing the God who made us and and everything else in the universe, at his right hand are solid joys and lasting pleasures. We've come to learn that knowing God, knowing his son, Jesus Christ, being set free from our sin, that is where true happiness and fulfillment lie. But again, we've been there and done that. We understand. But it's sort of like trying to uh, solve your hunger pangs with a Snickers bar. It's very short-lived. The high goes away quickly, and then usually the low is lower than where you started. Peter knew all about this. Look with me in 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Beginning in verse 2. Second 2. I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 2. We're picking it up in the middle of a sentence. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer. In other words, this is indeed how we used to live. But now we've been saved so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, this uh, time in this life, on this earth, in these bodies, no longer for human passions. And when he says human passions, he doesn't mean that we're supposed to be stoics. He, he means our, our bodily appetites, our carnal desires. No, we no longer live for those carnal Sensual human passions and desires, the lust of the flesh, but instead for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. In other words, our past lives before conversion, before Christ, our past lives in unbelief before we were saved. That was enough of living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. We've had enough of that. We don't want to go back to that. Christ has saved us from that. He's given us a higher calling. Why would we want to go back to that? With respect to this, Peter goes on in verse 4, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. They call you names, holier than thou. You're you're self-righteous. You're a Bible thumper, or whatever. They malign you but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. There's the same uh, time dynamic here in Peter, the same sense of urgency. We've wasted enough of our life in sin. The judgment of God awaits. Let's live in light of the day. Let's live in light of the second coming of Christ and the impending judgment of God. That happens a lot in the New Testament. That is supposed to motivate us to Christian living, walk properly. Then Paul goes on, back to Romans chapter 13. By the way, let me just say one more thing about verse 13. So it is easy to see how evil and dark orgies, drunkenness, sexual immorality, and sensuality are. But notice what else Paul includes. Quarreling, jealousy. There are more white-collar sins, um, let's say Baptist sins, that we could include in that list. But don't think that you're off the hook because maybe you're not entrapped or... Attracted to those biggies. But to the extent that you're also guilty of quarreling and jealousy, you're also walking in darkness, Paul says. Because quarreling and jealousy and other sins like them also proceed from our sinful nature. They're also sinful, dark. All right, moving on to verse 4. Where Paul says, whoops, put on Christ and make no provision for the flesh. I couldn't think of a more clever heading. I, that's just what Paul said. Verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So putting on the Lord Jesus Christ means to be in union with him. This is what happens when you believe in Jesus with saving faith. You, you, you put him on. You come into this living, vital, real, life-transforming union with him. He indwells you, and you indwell him. You live in him. And then you don't just do that in secret. So you live one way out in public, and if Uh, Someone works with you and sees you in public. They think you're just like everybody else because you live just like everybody else and you talk about the same types of things. You act the same way, but then when you go home and you close the door, then you're in this spiritual state with Jesus. Paul wants to dispel with that mistaken notion, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So just like you would put on clothes and people would see your nice attractive outfit, so put on the Lord Jesus Christ so that when you go into public, into this dark and dying world, people can see not just what you have on but whom you have on. Oh, you're a Christian. You're a follower of Christ. You live differently. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ means to not only believe in Jesus in theory privately, but to intentionally live for him practically in a way that puts him on display before a watching world. And it also reminds us, by the way, looking backwards to Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Jesus is the goal of our sanctification. Jesus is the goal of our behavior. So when we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, it means we're living in a Christ-like way. We're, we're being conformed visibly into the image of Christ. That's what we're supposed to do positively, but then there's a negative warning that Paul gives. Positively Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in Him, walk in Him and with Him, live for Him negatively, and make no provision for the flesh. The flesh here means our, our sinful nature, our remaining corruption, the, the source internally of our, our sin Externally, we see that in Galatians chapter 5 when Paul talks about the works of the flesh. Galatians 5, verses 19 and following. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. The flesh here doesn't just mean eating and drinking and sleeping and walking and whatever, The, the flesh means our fallen, sinful nature. The works of the flesh are evident. They they can be seen. They, They come from our heart out into the visible realm, into our lives. And what are they? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and things like these. And Paul goes on to give this warning, Galatians 5.21, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And this warning from the apostle of grace in the same epistle where he so plainly lays before us, Galatians, the doctrine of justification by faith alone apart from works. He still warns us. If you have been truly justified by genuine faith in Jesus Christ, then these works of the flesh are not going to dominate your life like they once did. They're not going to characterize your walk like they once did. And that's why he says, I I warn you that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So those are uh, the works of the flesh. This is what Paul is talking about in Romans 13 and verse 14 when he talks about the flesh. It's our sinful, fallen nature. And in verse 14, he says, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires, in other words, don't allow your sinful urges any opportunity to come out into the open and defile your life. Avoid tempting situations. Maybe an obvious example, if you struggle with drunkenness, and we've read about that. If you're an alcoholic, you have a history of alcoholism in your life. Maybe you should think of a different place to eat lunch instead of the local bar. An example. Avoid tempting situations. If your friends entice you to sin, get new friends. If the internet is a stumbling block for you, Get accountability software. Put your computer in a visible location or just get rid of the internet. And you say, well, that's pretty radical. What did Jesus say? If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, Cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. This is not salvation by amputation. But it is Jesus using metaphorical language for sure. But it's Jesus warning us about the seriousness of sin. We can't play with it. We can't be casual about it. We need to be at war with it. Don't feed it. Treat it like your mortal enemy, which it is. Remember what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8 and verse 13. If, I have to read it Romans chapter 8 and verse 13, my mind went blank. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And someone else has said in church history, either be killing sin or sin will be killing you. That's why Paul would write, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So, this is a pretty sober passage. There, there's no doubt about that. But, it's, but it's, it's true. It's authentic. And this is exactly what we need to hear. We don't live in Rome. We don't live in Corinth. We don't live in Ephesus. In, in some ways, we live in a worse place. We live in 21st century America, and there are so many opportunities for the flesh, for our sin nature to come out. And the Bible, the writers of the Bible, the Apostle Paul, Jesus himself, who called the Apostle Paul to be an apostle in the first place, God wants us to know that part of his purpose in saving us is to save us from these dark works, and to call us to a new life of following Christ, uh, a life of walking in the day and not in darkness. If some of this truth from the Word of God has uh, maybe exposed your hypocrisy today, like it exposed my hypocrisy, however many years ago that was, 1990, 32 years, I guess but if, if, if you came in here thinking, oh, well, I can live any way that I want. I'm going to keep on doing my thing, living according to the passions and desires and lusts of my flesh, but I believe in Jesus. I'm going to heaven. May God wake you up today and call you to himself, call you to salvation, just like he called me, just like he called St. Augustine, just like he called many of us who are in this room together today. May God help us to walk as children of light. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your truth. We thank you that we have come to know the truth and that the truth has set us free. Please be glorified in our lives, Lord, as we live in a, generation that is more and more dark, more and more in love with sin and angry with you and your ways. May we indeed walk as children of light, even as you are light. And Lord, would you please save sinners even in this place today. In their heart of hearts, turn the light On. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.